Hi, everybody. This is Scott McLeod with another episode of the Coronavirus Chronicles. I have here with me today Melissa Agadello. She's the principal of the San Diego Met, which is a wonderful high school in San Diego, California. Melissa, really appreciative of you being here with me today. Let's start off by just talking about uh, what the Met is, who do you serve, what's your learning model. Great. Thanks for having me, first of all. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, and thanks for having these conversations. I know as a leader, I've learned a lot from getting to hear other people's perspectives. So getting to share mine is really valuable for me too. Um, the San Diego Med is an atypical high school under the umbrella of the San Diego Unified Public School District. So we're not charter, um, which a lot of other big picture schools are. Uh, a lot of them are district-based too. We serve about 155 students from all across San Diego County. And the one big commonality of our students is that our students truly do come to us because they wanna learn differently. Um, we are about 50% free and reduced lunch. Um, I often share that in the city of San Diego, that number is always low because with border issues and some fears around possible legal repercussions, we know of a number of our families who are not properly uh, possibly registered within those systems. So uh, on paper, we're at about 50% free and reduced lunch. We serve a population of roughly about 45% Latino students and uh, first generation. And then we have about 8 to 10 percent African-American, with the remainder being uh, mostly a white population. Uh, we're 50-50 female-male, which is kind of a hilarious thing about our school. We're exactly 50-50. And uh, as I said, our students come from all over San Diego County. So as far north as um, almost to the, to the Encinitas area and as far south as the border, we have students that come that live within minutes of the San Diego border with uh, Tijuana. So that's who we are. Awesome, thanks. So tell us a little bit about what your adjustment was like. Uh, you know, you referenced that you're a big picture learning school, which has a very robust um, pedagogical model centered around problem solving and inquiry and a real world authentic work. So what has that looked like as you've gone remote? Mm -hmm. um, well, I'll start off by saying that we, I think, got to see echoes of what was coming down the pipe because the San Diego Met co-locates on a, on a uh, community college campus. So we actually are situated on the Mesa Community College campus. And so as the UCs were beginning to announce the shutdown, we had a very strong inclination that even if San Diego Unified wasn't going to, we likely were going to have to vacate because of our location. So I felt like we got a little bit of a jump on the thinking but once everything started happening so incredibly fast, we realized that our thinking was not appropriate to what was actually happening. So for us, there were a couple of huge challenges. First of all, our students spend two days a week at internships. And we focus a lot of our individualized one student at a time model, as most big picture schools do, around those personal projects that students were doing with professionals. And those all disappeared. And so then the very important question began to come up, well, what do they do instead, right? And I just, you know, I, I wrote a blog post for Big Picture about how hard that instead is. How do you replace something that's irreplaceable? Um, so what we started doing initially was we started just simply looking at the nuts and bolts of it. How do we maintain our relationships? A, number one. How do we make sure that every student is getting out, outreach even during the time when uh, you know, the digital divide is real when the vast majority of our students did not have access to online. Or if we knew we sent them home with a computer, some of them that would say to us, yes, but my siblings don't have computers and we're now all fighting for this one Chromebook. 
So our initial thinking was simply triage, connection, figuring out our student situation, uh, establishing a vigorous tracking document so that we could begin to ensure we knew where each of our students were. Um, as I mentioned before, the border was an issue. So we knew that we had families that had rushed to be able to get family support and were likely back in uh, Mexico. And so we were attempting to contact students that we knew the families because of lack of work and needing to socioeconomically support each other had chosen to go into uh, to see family in varying parts of Mexico. So that was our number one. Our number one initially was let's reach out to everybody. Let's make sure we know where they are. Let's reiterate to them how much we love them and be very transparent about everything we don't know, which we know from a number of our students was really comforting for them, for us to willingly say, hey, we don't know, but we still want to connect with you every single week, no matter what, so that we can make sure that we're maintaining those relationships. Um, and then San Diego Unified offered us three, four weeks of held harmless time where no new assignments could be made. Um, I treasured that time for two reasons. Number one, it really let us focus on relationships and connections without students feeling gun shy about not wanting to respond to us out of, you know, fears or concerns. Um, and then we didn't start actually grading anything until uh, April 27th. So, Melissa, you had this grace period of a few weeks, which you called the home harmless time, right? So, but I know that you all just didn't shove worksheets and homework packets at your students. So what has learning looked like uh, after that period? Particularly so, uh, access to your outside partners, right? Right. So what we chose to do is, you know, we initially were going to reach out to some of our mentors and ask the question of, is there still opportunities for our students right now? And of course, we realized very quickly as everything was disintegrating, this was not the time for us to reach out to our partners, but instead to show that grace and allowing them to figure out their own business models. So instead, what we did as a staff was we developed a personal project that asked our students to focus on one of four domains, a personal interest that you've never really had the time to develop, a skill from a loved one or a family member you've always wanted to learn, but have never had time to learn, an online-based skill, perhaps from a free open source website that you've always wanted to learn, and maybe there's a way for you to learn that. And then the fourth one is something creative outside of your comfort zone. Do you wanna make something? Do you wanna build something? One of my advisees decided to build owl boxes out of some used wood that was in her father's garage. So the question was simply, how are you gonna challenge yourself? And even if it's not necessarily knit towards your personal career trajectory, what is something that's going to fill you up and that's going to challenge you? And we had our students just with gusto take those projects on. The other gift that I think the coronavirus time has offered us is the massive, well, how well this illustrated that meaningful inquiry-based learning that is connected to students' passions will create interest regardless of a grade. You know, so many of us as teachers, even if we do believe in something like the big picture platform, it's hard to let go of this idea that I have to grade something for it to be valuable. Um, the old adage, right? Kids won't do it unless it's graded. Well, this time absolutely upended that. 
And what we discovered was the two classes that had the highest amount of engagement were the two teaching teams that designed the project that was most closely connected to what the students were experiencing. So as a staff to be able to dig into that and to say, you know, maybe it's okay. So we looked at all teachers designed around, I call them our three buckets. Bucket number one, what do you really think kids need right now? Do you want them to be writing? Do you want them to be reading? The second bucket is, what would be nice for them to continue to practice? Maybe something that we were doing that I want them to continue to. And what are the places online that there might be some really cool stuff for kids to experience? And then the third one is, what is the stuff that I often don't even want to teach anyway that kids just do not need right now? And so we looked at those three buckets and we gave ourselves grace and permission to completely ignore bucket number three. <laughs> and instead to say, how do we find the things kids want to practice and do well, marry that with the skills that are important. Kids do need to be reading and writing and making and doing and ideating, right? So how do we make that happen? And the, the, the loveliness of Mar March 13th to April 27th, where everybody was held harmless, there was a spring break in there, that time really afforded us the opportunity to have a lot of rigorous and rich conversations around, um, first of all, naming some of our fears. Are kids even gonna do this? Um, if a kid already has an A and they don't need to do anything, and of course what we discovered was we still averaged 86% engagement rates across the entire coronavirus time, which I'll be honest, I was hoping for 75. <laughs> so the fact that we averaged 86, I was like, wow. Um, and I would actually say, and some of the teachers even reflected that our engagement rate was higher than what it is sometimes in the seats. And I attribute that to projects and finally having a time where teachers could feel that sense of grace to let go of bucket number three, right? Because when you're, when you're in a context that looks and feels like what a classroom is, it's hard to let go. But when the context changed, it was so much easier to let that go. So those were the big things that we really focused on. Awesome. Melissa, two quick questions. So one is, uh, I love the blend of sort of teacher-created assignments and project, as well as a chance for students to also design their own remote project as well. Could you give us some other examples uh, on maybe of both sides? Um, of what the students work did, like of, of what that looked like? Yeah, and or also maybe what the teachers were sending home that might have looked sure. different, so. Sure. So our ninth grade students engage in uh, cross-curricular humanities classes that are English 9 as well as the ethnic studies curriculum. Um, can you imagine a more better time to be in an ethnic studies class than right now? Uh, right. So <laughs> the teachers were sending home really thoughtful um, ways for students to unpack and understand the historical context of what was happening now. And students, they did write a paper. They wrote, they wrote a research paper looking at a certain theme or topic and asking them to weave in some of what they were seeing now. So that was one way that the curriculum, you know, they, they just they let go of some of the other stuff and said, you know, what a perfect time this is right now. And uh, I can tell you that the, the research papers were remarkable. I, read, I got to read them. And I think they said that in the end, our freshman class right now, I think is 32. And I think about 80%, 90% of students completed the entire research paper cycle exclusively online. And I, again, I think it's because they were so interested in what was happening. The second, I think, really great example is our 11th grade humanities team. And they really embraced bucket number one. 
And what they wanted students to be doing was problem solving, right? Doing inquiry-based work. And they wanted them to be reading, writing, and hopefully watching really rigorous media, right? Media that was gonna help them push their thinking. So their project was a look at American culture in any varying way, shape, or form that a student wanted to pitch that. It was a wide open field. They had remarkable engagement numbers. Well over 95% of students regularly engaged and turned in all of their final products, which again were student designed. And I got to see everything from a group of students who was really interested in different notions of what the afterlife might be. Um, so they did a series of interviews online with uh, anybody that they could find and they put together a little mini documentary. Um, I saw students who were really interested in looking at rap lyrics. So they looked at a couple of uh, J. Cole and they looked at some of the lyrics around Kendrick Lamar's work and they were digging into the messages that were there and they did a little bit of comparison work with old school hip hop um, with looking at the lyrics to really see wh what are the historical context that they're referring to? What are these events and how does, how does hip hop encourage that? And then there were some students who read, uh, I think it was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, where they decided to get together and take a look at that and sort of kind of futurism, just everything that goes with that. So 100% student designed, beautiful, and really interesting. And I, uh, I got to pop into a few conversations that students had and hear about it. Lovely. On the personal side, we, gosh, they were all over the place. Everything from a couple of junior young men who seriously are considering the military as an option, who took this time to deep dive into the world of joining the military, understanding uh, the importance of going in if you're going to go in as, a can as an officer candidate and learning what that means and understanding that world a bit better. And they were able, to, I, they now speak a lot more cogently, I think, and like reflectively about what that choice might now look like for them. Um, we had a student who has always wanted to compose and he finally said really clearly at his exhibition, I finally had the time to compose something. And uh, he had it recorded online by a quartet that he managed to make a connection with who said, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a shot, we'll record it for you. And then he tearfully reflected on how beautiful it was to get the feedback from four professional musicians. Um, what else have I seen students do? Uh, I've seen, oh, uh, this was one of my favorites. A student whose mother is a, uh, a French baker and has always wanted to learn how to make brioche. And her mother explained to her, brioche is a multi-day process. Well, multi-day processes were more than available right now. So she coupled that with looking a little bit into sort of the history of like French bread making and uh, kind of understanding the science of it. Why does it take so long to make this bread in, in comparison to the others? and she was able to document that process for herself. Um, and that was one of those great examples of learning something from a parent or from a family member. We had students learn how to sew from patterns from grandmothers. We had students who learned how to knit or how to crochet from a grandmother who they were now kind of in the house with and finally had the time to sit down. Um, we had students who did deep dives into a particular director. I'm gonna to try to watch at least 60% of the movie, uh, the, the full videography library for uh, a Quentin Tarantino. And I'm gonna take a look at his view as a director and what he's done for us society, societally. And we tried to help them think about that through that sort of academic lens of like, well, you know, people research this all the time. So those are just some examples of what our kids did that 
were they were so passionate and excited about. Melissa, that was awesome. Thank you so much. So, how do you uh, how do you respond to the traditionalists who are really worried about learning loss over the spring? Right, like you know, the reason we have curricula and pacing guides and standards documents and whatever, right, is because we got to keep kids on track, we got to get them ready for college, and the stuff you're talking about, owl boxes and brioche and humanities projects and Quentin Tarantino, like, none of that is going to get kids college ready. Like, how do you talk to people who think that? <laughs> so I think there's two things that we love to talk about, and first is, do we really understand the world we're preparing them for? I mean, if 2020 does not make clear that the whole world we're preparing them for is not necessarily served by old guard ways of thinking, then I'm not sure what else would make that really clear. And so part of it is we don't actually really know what we're preparing them for. And when we do look at the, the things I've seen coming out of colleges for where university students don't feel like they're prepared. It's really about their ability to communicate things as well as their ability to um, assess media uh, and to assess um, writings and to, and to think. And roteness of a worksheet or a consistent kind of rote assignment is not preparing them for that either. Uh, there's no doubt to me that the, the, the voice I hear from the university side is that the reason why kids aren't being prepared well isn't because they aren't getting enough worksheets. It's because they're not getting enough conversation and analysis and time to dig in to be able to form voice. And good goodness, I mean, this generation makes really clear right now that what they have and want is voice and they know what they need to be talking about. They don't need to talk about what we're telling them to talk about. So I don't need you to write a research paper on Vietnam if you can really dig into what's happening right now with the story of George Floyd or Ahmaud Avery or any of the unfortunate various stories that are available. So what I often say is, how do you know what you're preparing them for? And our goal is a choice-filled life. Students who leave with a choice-filled life and if that's university, great, we're going to help you on that path. And if it's not, if it's something else, we want you to enter into that ready to be a professional, ready to be a business person, ready to be an entrepreneur, ready to have a choice-filled life. So that's often what I, what, I, what I usually come back with is, I'm not sure what we're preparing them for. If you know, let me know. Melissa, uh, we're at the end of our time here. I'm very grateful for this conversation. I know how busy you are. Thank you very much. The San Diego Met, Melissa Agadello, she's a phenomenal principal. Uh, happy viewing everybody. Thanks. Thank you so much.